Episode 7, we're back, here we are, we're still doing this, we're still alive, we're still healthy, this is great. How could we not, how could we not, it's uh, the highlight of my week now, you know, between the, week. watching yeah, Netflix yeah. shows and eating a lot, the podcast is the best part. It's the, it's one of the most productive things that I can do on a weekend, given the <laughs> entire circumstances. It's a bit of an interesting situation right now, we've been doing... Uh, a few episodes related to the COVID situation, uh, as you'd probably know if you've been tuning in. Um, but as it stands as of today, May 17th is when we're recording this. Um, we're still in lockdown, uh, like most places in the world. We're still, yep. you know, we're getting, we've gotten used to the fact that we're all isolated, quarantined, all that kind of stuff. But summer is on the horizon, Dak. Mm. And, you know, it's starting to get warmer. Uh, just around the same time that the government is starting to loosen some restrictions, of course. Um, but I'm excited, you know. And, do, you, and do you think we're going to get a full summer? I don't think so. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, it's a, it's a bit of an interesting situation because, you know, while I am excited that, you know, uh, places are opening up, I don't know, you know, we were, it's funny because we were just chatting right before we even started this that, you know, do we even want to have access to the places and the, and the things that are starting to become more open or uh, yeah, exactly. being loosened up like restaurants? Let's say I'm sure there's a plan to get those open soon. Small businesses, parks, all these places are starting to open again, but I don't know what, I, how I feel about it. I feel like, you know, I, it, for me, it's a bit of a reassuring factor that this situation is seemingly becoming a little bit more under control um, that's sort of how I see things a little bit, but at the same time, am I still comfortable with the fact that like, I am now able to go to a park where there would be potentially 10 people around me instead of five or, you know, more people uh, around me using the same facilities that I do. I don't know how I feel about that. I'd love to know your thoughts. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. Cause we were talking before about how like, I've adjusted so much to this life that like, I'm fine if it's going to be that way for a long time. Um, but I'm curious, like when things do open up, like how hesitant will I be to, you know, with my friends, sure. Like shaking hands and all that, because those are my boys, but like a new person I meet, do I want to shake their hand? If I don't know them, do I want to get too close? Like if I'm in a bar and someone's beside me, am I going to shift over? So I'm very curious kind of what that behavior is going to be like and, and what that new normal will look like. Um, I don't think I'm going to be rushing to get on the subway again or going to my work office. Like we don't need to until I think they said October, which has been great. You know, I can take that time. Yeah. don't think I'm going to rush into a restaurant because it's going to be a different experience that I'm not used to. So, well, uh, and yeah. it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, like we were just talking about like, you know, going to a restaurant for me is like, it's more than just enjoying the food. It's one, enjoying the company two enjoying the experience of it. And, yeah. and, and I think that like, if you're, if you're going to a restaurant, you're sitting down, you go to a nice restaurant, you're sitting down, you order a drink, the waitress comes over, waiter comes over, um, and like has a face mask on and is standing so far apart from you. And the people in the table next to you are, 10 meters away versus, you know, right beside you. And a lot of places in Toronto can get quite busy. So yeah. it's a bit of an interesting situation because, you know, I, again, I'll, I'll reiterate that it's, it's more of a re reassuring factor to me that things are starting to get better and people and places opening up are a bit, 
or an indicative factor to that, but I'm still not 100% comfortable. And, you know, while we're on the topic of this, it's kind of interesting to hear that, you know, as government restrictions start to loosen, when are we going to be going back to work? And by going back to work, I mean going into a physical space, going into an office, continuing my, uh, you know, routine that I knew for so long. I don't know when. Do you want to? I don't know. I mean, right now, (laughs) hands today, like, no, I don't feel comfortable going into an office where, you know, there might be other people, although the company that I work for is doing a great job um, unrolling some sort of like a plan and development for how this is actually going to unfold. Yeah. Besides the fact, but if I'm thinking that, do I want to go into a place, you know, where there's going to be a bunch of people, a contained environment where there will be, you know, multiple people around me, I'm sitting next to people. I don't know where they've been. They don't know where I've been. I don't know how I would feel um, other than uncomfortable in a situation like that, given that there's, you know, we're seeing in, you know, all around the world, different, you know, these second waves keep coming along. That's the big part too, where it's like, I think that would be floating in my mind when this lockdown ends is like, when is the second wave going to hit? Like people are saying fall or winter, but you don't really know. Right. So that's a little scary too. Exactly. And then, you know, high density areas like, you know, the city we live in Toronto, I think that it's, you know, inevitable for something like this to happen. So I feel the, you know, while going back to the office is basically a sign to say that we're, we think that things are starting to be okay. It's yeah. not enough for me to feel a hundred percent okay and comfortable going in, even though I know a lot of places, a lot of agencies are starting to like ha- at least have the conversation of, you know, reopening. And, uh, but uh, for me, I would, in order to feel a hundred percent comfortable, I'd need to know exactly what the proper things are in place, um, to be able to help facilitate, this plan of you know people you know being in a contained environment together yeah man like i just what i would want for my employer at this time is like options you know like i don't want to be working for a company that says okay now we think it's safe everyone has to come in it's like what if i don't think it's safe you know does my opinion not matter so having that flexibility i know that's like it's not possible across all industries but especially in tech, like I would hope that, you know, we'd have that flexibility to to say, nah, I'm not ready. Give me a bit more time. And that's, I I totally agree. And I think that, you know, the way that we're set up right now, and like, we can probably quote this from the, you know, the last couple episodes that we've been doing, but, you know, we live in in an environment, we work in an industry that, you know, doesn't really need us to be in a physical place. Like we're able to work from home and, and do pretty much the same kinds of things, uh, you know, as we could if we were in the, in a physical office. So speaking from an advertising or marketing type perspective, you know, why rush? We don't need to go back. We don't need to be um, yeah. in the office interacting with each other. I, I have arguably more interaction with the people that I work with now that you know i'm forced to sort of keep up with them on like a like a skype or a zoom or whatever it is um than i would like when i was in the physical office but again i don't know we are not essential workers put it that way we are not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the best way to put it <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly but you know it, it, moving on from this it's kind of interesting to see how other industries are adapting as well like um, I don't know if you've been following, but you know, I'm, a, I'm obviously like big sports guy. 
Uh, I've been following what the NBA is doing and, and you know, in the NHL and some of the leagues that are, you know, were forced to sort of pause three quarters of the way through their season um, and, you know, start to see what their plans of, you know, unrolling a, a you know, strategy to bring people back together. Like, so I don't I've, know I've been hearing like bits and pieces. Like I, on, on one article, I heard that they're thinking of, of taking it to another country to perform in their stadiums. Whoa. Have you heard any anything related no. to that or no? That's pretty crazy though. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> like going to France or, or something like that because the States has it really bad, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's pretty crazy know. though. Like it, I mean it would be. <laughs> I've heard like Toronto was actually like thrown out there for like a place where, you know, a playoff, NBA playoffs could occur. Mm. Um I'm obviously assuming that there would be and I need to do my research, I'll be completely honest. But I'm assuming at this point there there would be no fans if they were to do an no. entire like playoffs um, in the city. No one would yeah. be able to go into the arena. It'd st- strictly be broadcast only, which I think well, makes like, Yeah, it makes sense. But like, I guess I just don't know what that experience looks like. It just reminds me too much of like an open gym concept, which I mean is only half exciting to watch. But yeah, so I don't what. Know. Do you- what are your thoughts on the season opening up? I know entertainment is something that we're all really craving right now, but I'd be curious to know what you think about um, th- this whole situation, you know, NBA and other sports that uh, that you might watch. Again, like it, it comes down to that employee versus employer versus employee kind of comfort level. Like at the same pace we're at where I mentioned before, where it's like if my employer says, hey, we think it's fine now, we want to start making money again, time to get back to work, but I don't feel comfortable. I think that's an issue. So I really would be curious as to what the sentiments of like the major players are. Like, how does LeBron feel about this? How does, you know, how do those kind of bigger NBA players feel about coming back right now? Are they comfortable? Do they feel safe, you know, traveling to this other country or state to now play? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's the owner's decision. You know, I think it comes down to the players or the bread and butter. It's what we pay to see. So if they feel safe, then cool, I'll watch. It's to, you know, to counteract that last point. You know, I think that, you know, like a lot of Americans, uh, they're probably, you know, these people are like, we want to, you know, go back to back to work. Like maybe money is a factor. Maybe it isn't because considering that they're millionaires. But it's kind of interesting because I read a, a you know a report that like you know some of these you know star players in the NBA like you know LeBron James, Chris Paul uh, had a conference call the other week you know expressing their desire and their interest to you know finish off the rest of the season. So I think they're putting together a plan right now to help figure that out at least if that makes sense. But you know NBA you know training facilities are starting to open up as well with like limited amounts of people coming in and out so I think that you know I wouldn't be surprised if they put something in place sooner than we thought but again so so would it be like they would how would it work I feel like whoever won this year there'd be like an asterisk next to that championship it would be weird it would be weird I don't think they would feel like they obviously they earned it but like at the same time they didn't really because it's not a full 82 game season and then playoffs after. So yeah. Yeah. Chop it start in 20 start, start in the fall, you know, that's what I'm saying. Well, like, I mean, as much as I would like to see, you know, what the playoffs would be this year, like there's just so many factors into it, like draft picks, like, uh, 
you know, the off season, like people who are restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents, like in the summer, like how does that all factor into this, you know, situation? And I think there's just so many complications behind it that it's not as easy as just picking or canceling the season, picking it up where, you know, you know, picking it up next because yeah. some players on certain teams might not be there anymore. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just so complicated. And I find it interesting to see that like, at least from like a player safety, like, training facility type you know perspective it's interesting to see uh, that they're starting to open up because that means that you know the next phase of the plan will shortly follow but you know as trust me as much as i would love to see you know some some nba playoffs right now i think you know for the greater good it's probably best that they just um you know figure out a, a contingency plan to you know potentially start something much later than than we're hoping for yeah we all gotta adjust right yeah, we all got to adjust. But it's 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 kind of interesting to see how, you know, some of the players are adapting to situations like this. Like it's um, you know, it's an uncommon situation um because we still want to have that interaction with, you know, our favorite players like, you know, the you know, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, like all these guys. So it kind of, you know, it makes it interesting that for me to you know, to understand like what these players would be doing in their off time right now, like training. I know a lot of them are like playing video games, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like, which, I, you know, I, I think that it's, you know, it begs the question of, you know, esports and, you know, my entertainment factor with that all of a sudden. Like, I, I remember I was watching and I don't know if you've been keeping up with any of this stuff at all, but I saw like that they were doing like Call of Duty, like six on six tournaments with like some, you know, famous NBA players like Devin Booker and uh, oh, okay. Bucket- and it's kind of interesting because, you know, I caught myself watching, you know, other players play video games. Oh, man. Yeah. Which <laughs> like, you know, not like extensively. I'm not like watching yeah, it yeah. stream, but like I'm paying attention to that content. And I think that if you were to ask me, you know, maybe less than a year ago, if I would, you know, watch, uh, you know, a basketball player play Call of Duty or play Fortnite, whatever it is, I'd be like, no, I'm good. I'll watch the basketball game that's on tonight, though. But now I'm kind of like, I'll take what I can get sort of thing. So it's like, did, did eSports become cool overnight? Like, is that is that a, a, a thing now? I, I remember, like, when there was that, that, like, Fortnite competition and there was, like, a 17-year-old that won $3 million or something. That's where my, like, uh, that's where I, I, I really start to notice eSports. Because before that, you couldn't really tell me anything. I, I wasn't really listening. I didn't really think it was anything that special. But, yeah. Three million dollar grand prize for a video game tournament is like what? And I, yeah. I know that's probably an anomaly. They're not all earning that much, but that is but insane. It, it, yeah, it's it's crazy. And like you know what, I I I think that it's interesting to you know to talk about situations like that because there are you know young kids like making a ton of money. But like at the, at the end of the day, it's like I, I would read something like that and say, oh, you know, that's that's cool, good for that person. But I didn't really pay attention or care about it at all. But yeah. like throw in like a, a an athlete or someone that I know from the you know entertainment that I consume, you know why wouldn't I want want to watch Devin Booker kick LeBron James's kid's ass in Call of Duty? Like I think that's completely jokes. Yeah. Do you, you know think? I, mean? I think you kind of mentioned it, but you do you think like okay, once the season starts again, and if these players are still doing this maybe every weekend, you think you're going to tune in or or not so much? I'm gonna be honest. Probably not. 
but um, (laughs) it's a nice supplemental, um, you know, bit of entertainment during, you know, this like really strange time. But, you know, I think it's, I think it did its job or is doing its job to say like, we're, we know we're not the NBA. Like we're not like, and anything that like this fan base typically pays attention to. But I think that, you know, it's, people's perceptions of esports and like watching video games online and watch people playing video games on like streams and stuff like that has definitely probably changed culturally within like that sort of community, if that makes sense. Um, you know, it, it has people like me, you know, tuning in or like paying attention or watching. And I think that, you know, that's all I can really hope for and and do during this time. Right. I think it's similar to, to, to a little bit to switch topics, but the last dance, uh, Jordan doc, where yeah. it's a 10, 10 part kind of Jordan series on ESPN and on Netflix. But great documentary, great documentary. finale this uh, this week, this Sunday, today. Um, two episodes each week on Sunday. And what's interesting, though, is that, you know, there's obviously sports fans, there's Jordan fans, there's already going to be people that would have watched it if COVID wasn't a thing. But I'm seeing a lot of people that aren't like big sports fans, people that I work with that, don't watch sports and don't really know Jordan that much, but they're tuned in every Sunday because you have nothing else to do, you know? So this situation was almost so beneficial for that documentary to explode the way it is and carry conversations for days and trending and all these video clips of Jordan coming out and everyone sharing them. And, you know, it's just been, it's been a great moment, I would say, because we have nothing to do. We're all watching the same thing, having the same conversations. So that's another example of like, I'm tuning in because not me, but a lot of people are tuning in because there's nothing else. Yeah. And I I think that like, if we want to stay on the documentary for a sec, I thought, I think it's really awesome. And, you know, for people like me and and you, like, I didn't really grow up watching Michael Jordan play. Like I was, you know, I lived in the nineties, like I was a kid in the nineties, but I was a young kid in the nineties. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, I, could only start remembering things like when Michael Jordan was in like his second stint with the Chicago Bulls from like 95 to 98 sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's like an interesting, you know, uh, position for me to, to be watching this thing. And it's like when, uh, when I'm watching it, it's like I'm taking a trip back into the nineties. Um, and I oh, think yeah. it's, it's kind of interesting to like consume that culture and realize that he's, um, that he's that he was such a big icon during that time. And like, even just the clothes, like the style, like the, the aesthetic of the documentary is like really, really interesting. hundred percent. And, and yeah, if we're talking kind of like the era, um, Kobe is very much my Michael Jordan, because that's when I started watching basketball when Kobe yeah. was lighting things up and he was a vicious superstar, same way that kind of Michael Jordan was in the nineties. Um, when I started watching basketball, Jordan was playing for the Wizards for 03. So like, yeah, I didn't really yeah. get that, um, that nineties, uh, Jordan intensity, you know, that most yeah. people got. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great documentary and it's interesting to see, um, sort of where, where basketball is kind of like gone and, and where, what it's become over the last like 30, 35 years kind of thing. Yeah. hundred percent. So I want I want to keep this on the uh, the sports topic, but I was reading, sorry, I was listening to this uh, this podcast called Techish, and they were mentioning that Wimbledon, so like the, 
I guess a tennis company, <laughs> tennis uh, <laughs> tennis <laughs> tournament <laughs> company. Largest tennis tournament in the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you can tell I don't watch tennis, but it's all um, good. Since 2003, when there was a SARS outbreak, Wimbledon has in, been investing $1.5 million every year into something called a pandemic insurance, which is like the foresight is amazing. Like whoever the CEO is just like hats off to them because now they're receiving a payout because they canceled their tournament due to a pandemic and they're receiving a payout of $114 million. Wow. So it's like they had the foresight to say, hey, in 2003, this big outbreak might happen again. Let me start putting money aside in case we ever have to cancel our tournament due to a pandemic. So wait, what happened in 2003? So the SARS outbreak, it wasn't as big oh, as COVID, okay. but, but um, uh, yeah, huge yeah. situation that probably told them, hey, this might happen again and like worse. So let's start putting some insurance yeah. behind it. I think that's like a very forward thinking you know, thing for an organization <laughs> like that to do to say, you know what, like well, it's big enough that like, you know, $1.5 million a year isn't like breaking the bank. It's kind of just like, let's put this aside just in case something crazy happens. And, you know, look yeah. where we are. So because, I'm, no, go ahead. I was going to say like, it, it'll be interesting. Cause it's like, what is that 114 million pound thing? Like, what does that do for them? Like what? What? What are they going to use that for? You know what I mean? Like, given the situation right now is kind of like we're completely locked down. Like, well, it's just, probably just like revenue loss in general for the uh, for the tournament because I'm sure they put so much money towards it before this whole lockdown even happened. So, great way to recoup some of the costs. I don't know. It's smart. I mean, like, it's these are kinds of things that like. You know, we see, you know, Wimbledon has been doing this for the last, like, well, like 17 years, something like that, or however long it was ago. But it's just interesting to see that, like, companies like this, like, will start, because of the situation we're in right now, they'll start doing these things like Wimbledon did in 2003 after SARS. 1,000%. It's going to be, like, mandatory. Exactly. This is going to be a thing that, like, you know, we, we think about and, you know, as companies are like unveiling their, you know, rolling out strategy for coming back into an office or how they're going to succeed in the next 15 years because of this situation right now, I have a hard time, you know, thinking that, you know, an insurance fund or policy or whatever for something like, like a pandemic wouldn't be a part of their plan. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do think this kind of um, extends in, I think we talked about it a bit, but the expectation for the regular person to have like, I think they say three months of, of your of your expenses saved just in case something happens. Like that is like yeah. the general advice that every per- person should strive for. Yet these companies yeah. are folding in like a month of pressure and they need help from the government. And it's like, should you not, I know we're always thinking about growth, but should you not also be thinking of like a safety net? Like we're in well, savings. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing too. And it's like, you know, I think a lot of things factor into that as well. Like, of course, like when a business opens up, it should have enough money to be able to like sustain itself for like the next like little bit before it like really starts earning a ton of money. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I mean, to your point, it's like, you know, there, there's a lot of places in Toronto here that are like really, really expensive for like small, small places, like small restaurants or whatever. And um, 
it's interesting to, to see like places. Well, it's not interesting. It's unfortunate to see a lot of places shut down because of something like this. So it'll be interesting to see how future businesses are able to, you know, really structure their business around, you know, long-term growth versus like short-term gain kind of thing, which is what I think anecdotally a lot of um, smaller restaurants and companies in Toronto do here, like at least on like Queen Street. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, right, right. Every week there's like a new place opening up or closing down kind of thing. So it'd be interesting to see how they start planning for like more long-term success than um, than a real short-term gain. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Because like it's definitely big in like tech startups. It's always like growth, growth, growth. We got to think of like, you know, how we can reach the next level of funding and things like that. But it's like, are you ever thinking about if things crash down, like how much runway do you have before you have to lay off everyone and shut it down? And hindsight is 2020, right? So like, I'm only saying this now because all this situation, all these situations are now happening. So, but now we're all aware at least, you know, so that's a reward. It's a, it's a shitty reminder. You know what I mean? To be like, Oh, we actually do need to like think about a lot of things way further in the future than we might've thought sort of thing. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing I was kind of hearing on that podcast as well was uh, about Airbnb. So Airbnb Wait, you just another podcast. <laughs> More than music, to be honest. It's actually getting crazy. Nice. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, you always do that. No, I'm kidding. Awesome. Airbnb, they laid off 25% of their workforce. So 1,900 people. Um and that's obviously because people can't travel. A lot of these homes aren't listed anymore because obviously people aren't traveling. So people aren't using them. Um, but I, I found it really interesting because the CEO was just very transparent about it all. He put together this kind of memo that he sent to all of his employees. But then he also shared it online for anyone to kind of take a look at. And it's it's a long it's a long email. Like it'll probably take you like almost ten minutes to read it all. But he's really just been describing, you know, kind of why he had to do this, um, the benefits he'll put in place to help those employees. I think they can access their benefits until the end of the year and giving them, you know, as much money as possible to to last until the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and he's just always also just mentioned, you know, we had this projection of where travel would be, but we're unclear what it's going to look like when this is over. So we need to let go of a, a large amount of people so we can prepare for that. What that new normal of travel looks like. And that made me start to kind of think about like, you know, I've always thought about when this lockdown is over, I'm going to go on this huge Europe trip. You know, it's going to yeah. be so much fun, but like I'm starting to think about, about it more now. And it's like, I think it's going to be a while before that's achievable, you know, before, we get on yeah. a plane and go on these big vacations like we used to because it's scary, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not the same anymore for sure. And, you know, just to jump back on the Airbnb thing, like that's, you know, that's really shitty, you know, that that those yeah. many people lost their jobs, you know what I mean? And that's, that's a tough thing. Like a lot of those people probably had families, like a lot of things that they had to, you know, were trying to save up for or had to try and pay off. So I'll say that, you know, my condolences, I guess, to, to people who, who've lost their jobs. But, you know, I think being as open and transparent during a situation like this is probably the only thing that you can do if you're a CEO of like, you know, a company that big. But 
the, the topic of, you know, Airbnb and like these like middleman, you know, services that have really sort of come up in the last like five or six years, like in terms of like very, like global popularity or usage, I guess. Yeah. Uh, like, like Uber, I'm sure is just like hemorrhaging money and, uh, and Airbnb, like there's no, it's not like a tangible service. You know what I mean? It's not like something like I'm paying for this. It's like, no, I'm, I'm using your service to pay somebody else kind of thing. Yeah. Like, like experience in a way. Yeah. So it's like, well, how, how does this, like, how do you factor in? And like, can I just eliminate the middleman here? Like, is there, is there a need for that service in, anymore in this new sort of like era that we're heading into? Yeah. Cause I was even reading that hotels are going to be quite different in the sense that the amenities like won't, be available anymore like that pool and the buffets and and stuff like that yeah. it's just gonna be go to your room stay there come out you know there's nothing else you can use while you're there which so. is so weird like it's just <laughs> so fucking weird like when you think about it and like yeah. i don't know like, i think that you know uber is, especially is like they're probably screwed right now too like i mean uber eats is great but if you take away that what like no one's no one's getting the cab right now you know what i mean like mm, right yeah so it'll be interesting to see how they sort of bounce back and like you know like we were saying on the last topic sort of develop this like okay we recognize that this situation happened what is what does our business look like from you know moving forward um you can expect to see a lot of changes with like those like middleman type um services that we'll see but at the end of the day the way that the CEO handled it probably did it in the best way and the most humane way that he could have. Cause there's a lot of places that, you know, that I've seen that haven't done that. And you know, that's really unfortunate on top of somebody losing their job. hundred um, percent. Uh, I think the only CEO right now thriving is Jeff Bezos, you know, <laughs> Amazon <laughs> stock going to the roof. Their sales are incredible during this time because everyone's, ordering stuff like me too i bought something the other day so uh what's interesting though is they i think it was forbes that put out an article projecting that um due to this kind of increase in the way amazon is trending jeff bezos is on track to become a trillionaire this decade the first trillionaire in history right and i read that and i was like holy shit like that's unfathomable you know um so sorry, decade meaning from 2020 to 2030? By then, he'll be a trillionaire worth a okay. trillion dollars. I think okay. now he's sitting at maybe a $120 billion net worth, but, um, <laughs> which that itself is like unfathomable. Yeah. But yeah, they're saying a trillion by the end of the end of the decade. And the question online where people have been pretty divisive and trending on Twitter and discussions and stuff like that is, you know, whether or not someone should even be allowed to be a trillionaire or if a billionaire should even exist. And I'll tell you the reasoning or what I've seen, like the core argument is that you can't earn that much money ethically. So in order to be a billionaire or a trillionaire, you have to screw people over along the process. So not paying your employees as much as you should not giving them a livable wage or just exposing certain areas sure. and certain people to, to get that wealth. So I'm curious what, what you think of that. Like should a billionaire or a trillionaire exist in your mind? Oh man. 
that's like you know that's a really interesting question because i was thinking you know on one end that like you know if if it's my idea it's my company and i build a system and i build an operation that puts me in a position to become like a a billionaire or trillionaire like you know why why should someone take that away from me kind of thing um but on the other side of things you know, if you're, if you're becoming a trillionaire, you're basically setting up your business to like, basically put like the, the bare minimum of like spend in place of like where your, you know, employees could be making a little bit more. Like that's like maybe one or $2 off of like every Amazon person's like paycheck or something, or like they could pay them $5 more or $3 more, but they just don't because, um, he wants to be, you know, he wants to make as much money as possible, which like, I mean, ethically, yeah, it's questionable. I don't know if I can answer that question. I think it's like, it depends on the, the, the the situation that you're in. Like we live in like a capitalist society where like you kind of like making money and like making money for yourself and being able to, to accumulate that type of wealth is, um, you know, seen as off of the back of, you know, that person's shoulders sort of thing like that is like their, that's like what that person was meant to do kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but do you I, I think don't... there's, do you think there's a requirement for someone that has that much wealth, like even just a billionaire to be donating a large portion of it to different causes? Well, donating, maybe not, but I think that here, here's my thoughts and I, you yeah. know, you can debate me on this if you want, but I think like if, if you're, if you make a certain amount of money and you make a billion dollars or a trillion dollars or whatever, like let's call them tiers, right? So yeah. you make, if your company's making a million dollars, you have to do this. If your company's making a billion dollars, you have to do this. If your company uh, is making a trillion dollars, you have to do this. And then what I mean by that, by those tiers is like, you know, if your company is, you know, generating a certain amount of revenue and you, you're a billionaire or whatever because of that then there should be maybe a requirement to say, okay, well then all of your employees need to at least be making this much money. This person yeah. needs to be doing this. Like there, there's, in my opinion, like I don't think being a billionaire should be like a bad thing. I just think no. that if you're able to, if there are restrictions and things that you're able to put in place to help not only the one person who owns the company make a billion dollars, but like that the other people like the, thousands and thousands of people who are working under that person are also being like you know respected in terms of like the wages that they make the benefits that they're able to have access to resources all that kind of stuff should be in question and and factored into that as well so if you're if you're able to separate it in terms of like those like tiered levels um i don't think that i can say that a billionaire shouldn't exist or a trillionaire shouldn't exist they can absolutely exist but they should be potentially like put some guardrails on you can make this much money, but you have to, but if you own a, a business, you have to pay your employees a certain amount of money based on how much money you're able to generate kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think that's, I, probably, I, that's probably my most like uh, democratic way of uh, trying to explain this. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of like without really thinking, that's probably the way that I would see it. Without really thinking, <laughs> no, I, I 100% agree with you. I think uh, you your company shouldn't be worth a hundred billion dollars if your some your bottom employee can't live on that wage. Yeah, you know what I mean, like they should it should be mandatory that everyone in your company at least has a livable wage at the bare minimum. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very problematic if you put a cap on somebody and say that you can't be a billionaire because it's like, what do we strive? What do you strive for? If you're the leader of a tech company and you want your product to be everywhere, but you can't grow as, as much as you want to, because there's a cap that just yeah. feels weird, you know, in our society. Um, but I do think one thing that should be clear. And I think a lot of people mistake is that you know, Jeff Bezos being worth a trillion dollars is different than Jeff Bezos having a trillion dollars. Exactly. That's a big that's a difference. Important, <laughs> important nuance that a lot of people probably overlook. Yeah. Like it's not liquid. Like he doesn't, he's not able to just buy countries if he wants to, like he doesn't have yeah. that much money. Right. So it's interesting whenever he donates like a hundred million dollars to a cause, like people will always compare it to someone making $50,000 and say, that's only like $2, you know, comparable. But it's yeah. like, he doesn't have a hundred billion dollars in the bank right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, I'm spending. In, in my opinion, sorry to cut you off, but I think there's like, why, why should I dictate the way that someone else chooses to, to where someone chooses to invest their money or spend their money. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, while I might not agree with like, Oh, I can always say, Oh, you should do more. You could do more. Yeah. Not for sure. They probably could. But at the same time, like, why do I dictate that? Why do I get to say that? I, I don't, I don't agree with the way that some people think that like, I understand from an, like an empathetic standpoint. That's like, I understand yeah. the frustrations of why someone would like be frustrated with saying like, Oh, that's only like if you if if you compare it to fifty thousand dollars, that's like five dollars that you're donating. Sure, but like if I'm making fifty thousand dollars a year, I'm not going to donate five dollars to your thing. If I'm making a billion dollars, I can absolutely hundred percent donate a hundred million dollars, and that'll make a substantial difference on the company. Exactly. exactly. You know what I mean? I just I I think that comparison is just a little bit like it's taking a, a jab at the person versus actually evaluating what that much money can do for um, a cause or an organization. Man, we agreed. This is, this is, uh, this is a moment. <laughs> this is a real, this is a real thing. Like we do agree on stuff sometimes. No, but it's, it's, it's interesting you see, man, because like a lot of people, a lot of people are put in positions where like, money is you know they they really really need money and like those comments are made out of frustration to say well how come no one's supporting me in that regard kind of thing like maybe that's their their angle of it which i understand um and is shitty but again like you at the fundamental core it's not a it's not a matter of me being able to tell you you need to do this or or capping someone from making as much money as they possibly can because unfortunately for those people that's just like not the way that our society works and that's not the way that our society is built on the way that someone chooses to spend their money is is their own prerogative um and hopefully hopefully they would put it towards something that would be used for the greater good perfectly said and closing on that topic jeff bezos you do you yeah (laughs) 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 this this episode is sponsored by amazon but uh, you know, do your thing. Maybe toss me a fresh hundred million on the side. I can do some wonders with it. I promise. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, just to end this uh, as a last kind of thing we talk about, is um, have you been watching these versus battles on IG no. Live? No, and I'm I'm curious to to have you educate me what what they are. <laughs> oh, you don't know what they are either. 
I did a quick Google search right before, and, and I oh, saw them. Man. But I didn't. I didn't really pay attention. So enlighten me. Got you. Okay. So in light of this pandemic, what's kind of been going on every Saturday? I think every Saturday. It started with Swizz Beats and Timbaland, so two iconic producers. Um, they went on IG Live and they did kind of a, a bit of a battle. So each of them gets 20 songs to play back and forth, a minute and a half each song. And there's no like real tally as to who wins, but the community, people watching, they're able to discuss and say, you know, who who won this round, who won that round, and you go for 20 rounds. Okay. So, so every week there's been a new kind of matchup. So there was like Hit Boy and another producer. I can't remember. Um, you had Teddy Riley and Babyface. You had Jill Scott and Erica Badu. Last week or yesterday, I should say, you had Nelly and um, Ludacris. So people in the same era that kind of have had a career along the same amount of time, they're yeah. doing battles with each other. Okay. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's interesting. No, man, definitely. The next one that happens whenever that does, I'll, I'll let you know. But it's getting a huge amount of like viewership because if you think about it, 20 rounds, 20 songs each, it spans over two to three hours. And there's never like under 400K people watching the whole thing. <laughs> and the max I've seen is uh, Erica Badu and Jill Scott. They almost hit 800K for like three hours of people just Holy watching God. on their phone, you know? And this is trending on Twitter for days after. But I, I don't know if it's just because I'm in advertising and marketing, but it's like I my expectation is that brands would have jumped on this and, and hopped on all these eyes on this like battle, you know, every single week. But yeah. you're not really seeing a lot of brands like talk about it, mention it, no news publications other than like standard hip hop ones like Vibe or Complex or stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But I'm like, where are the brands? Like, and I don't know. I don't think I don't want them to be there, but I'm just like expecting them. And it's weird that they're not. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think, you know, I think that we have to talk about this in the next episode. There's not enough time for me to, to really like elaborate yeah, on yeah. what my thought process is on that because I think that brands will probably eventually jump onto this, but it's like uh, it's unlocking an entirely the, – the bigger piece at play I think is like just unlocking this bigger sense of content um, and traditional television and traditional media channel, uh, channels are, you know – they don't have the same, they don't have the same, um, accessibility, let's say like when you think about like, I'll, I'll save the, the traditional media conversation for the next podcast. But I think that it's like, it's so interesting to me that, you know, we're now having like almost like one-to-one -one relationships with like these celebrities and we're yeah. getting to these celebrities, um, in ways that we never would have been able to do so. And, yeah. you know, I think this is really, it's, it's a really good opportunity for a lot of brands to like be able to capitalize on something like this and jump in, uh, in terms of like getting their like awareness and stuff like that or sponsoring or something yeah. like that, which is like, there's a huge opportunity for something like that. Um, so we'll see, man. I think that, I think it's a really cool concept. I think it's something that's getting a ton of eyeballs and a lot of people are going to continuously watch stuff like this. But we'll wait and see uh, for, for the brands um, who will likely be in on the next sooner than you think. You know what I mean? If they wake up, we'll see. Yeah. Tuning we'll in see. next week. <laughs> We're making ads about these unprecedented times.
Hundred percent, man. Well, that and is on, uh, that's episode yeah, seven. That was a good one. Um, you know, we'll obviously continue to to document our experiences through these times. We'll continue to produce the content. Stay tuned. Obviously, uh, follow the Mad Mix on Instagram. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you know where you found it. Stay tuned for the next episode, and uh, you know, stay safe out there. Cool, cool, cool. All right, peace, guys. Peace.